You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning. Welcome to the show right in the heart of some wonderful racing across the globe. It's Monday, May the 16th. It's a bright and beautiful morning. Early summer morning, you'd almost say here in TW11. And if I sound like I've got a spring in my step, I do. Not only am I excited about the prospect of seeing the uh, Kentucky Derby runner-up epicenter take on the Oaks winner Secret Oath at Baltimore at the Preakness this weekend. I'm also um, basking in the glow of a truly sparkling performance from what now I think we can say is the world's best racehorse, Baid, in the lock-in stakes on Saturday. I've no doubt that both the Longines rating system and our own TRC ranking system will give him the highest number uh, of any on the planet after that. He's been earning superlatives all round. He's now an undefeated seven for seven William Haggis's cult by See the Stars. Uh, David Yates from the Daily Mirror joins me now to discuss uh, David, in your opinion, is he the best horse since Frankel? I certainly think he is. I mean, the um, obviously he was six from six at three. We didn't see Baid at two. And I think that probably talking to, to former experts subsequent to the lock-inch at Newbury on Saturday, that the, the, the bare bones of the form, which are, you know, a three and a quarter length beating of real world, did Baid have to improve on what he did in winning uh, the Prix du Moulin and the QE2 on his final two starts uh, last year? Well, probably not. But it was the manner of uh, in, it was the manner in which he did it, wasn't it? Just this, I think, was a I'd call it a representative field in the lock-ins. We had uh, Real World, a Group Two winner. Chindit was third, of course, who is probably two notches uh, below the top level in fourth. Alcohol free, of course, uh, a group one winner, multiple group one winner of last year. Mother Earth, the 1,000 Guineas winner of 2021, was a bit disappointing in seventh. But I think that it stacked up as a, as a lock-inch. And one by one, they came off the bridle. And towards the far side, Jim Crowley was stalking the leaders on Baid. And it became quickly apparent that his mount was going much more easily than the others and when he asked quicken to go uh, to quicken and go away and win the race that's exactly what he did so yeah i thought it was a thunderously impressive performance um we had an inkling didn't we from the the workout at, at chelmsford city earlier this month Baid had worked with Montatham and Aldari, uh, rated 104 and 117, respectively. Uh, we know that both Jim Crowley and the trainer, William Haggis, were very impressed by what they saw that day. And he took, I thought, maybe not in terms of the numbers this time, but we'll see what the, what the number crunchers say. But certainly uh, this was, I thought, a, a hugely encouraging portent for what's to come. You know, William Haggis is never a trainer who gets 
who who gets carried away i think that's fair to say when you ask a question it's normally met with about a two or three sentence response and and they're relatively staccato sentences rather than flowing ones um but he was clearly massively relieved by what he saw on saturday and he said that the the program for um by now pretty much maps itself out in the in the short term the queen anne at royal ascot and then he said they'll aim the horse at a, a step up to 10 furlongs for the judmont international those are two races that frankel won as a four-year-old and uh, i think that the the comparisons if things carry on the way that i suspect they're going to i think they're going to be more frankel comparisons down the road yeah, I would agree with you because his campaign is going to virtually mirror that of Frankel's four-year-old campaign. And don't forget, in between the Queen Anne and the Judmont International, there's a small matter of the Sussex Stakes, which would be his first opportunity to meet and give weight away to the classic generation, amongst whom might be one of Charlie Appleby's uh, excellent cults, either Caribus, the Guineas winner, probably him, we hope it will be him, go to the St. James's Palace Stakes at Ascot next, or Native Trail, who runs in this weekend's Irish 2000 Guineas, or indeed, let's not forget Modern Games, who won yesterday's French 2000 Guineas, the Poule d'Essai des Poulains. We've been flagging up on this podcast since you know, February how loaded Appleby is in this division, and they're not letting him down at the moment, Dave. Well, they're really not. I mean, obviously, it, it's, it's one thing, I suppose, to say in February, and then in mid-May, or f- for those for those hopes to come to fruition, but they really have now. As you say, we've got a Caribus beat Native Trail in the 2000 Guineas at Newmarket. On Saturday, Native Trail will go to the Curra in a bid to go on better in the Irish version. And of course, yesterday, Modern Games. Well, um, there may have been an element of controversy about his victory in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf when, of course, he was scratched by uh, the uh, vets and then reinstated at uh, Del Mar but um, there was no it was pretty much uh, it was pretty more it was much more straightforward at uh, Longchamp yesterday when he won with authority and immediately the prospect of doubling up in the Prix de Jockey Club at Chanty. That's on June the 5th. That's the day after the Kazoo Derby uh, was brought up. And Charlie Appleby and Will Buick both said they thought that uh, Modern Games would be the ideal horse for that. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's very rare, even for the sort of behemoth stables of, of Charlie Appleby, Aidan O'Brien, to have three colts uh, to win the, the 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 2000 guineas plus the irish and french versions with three different colts would be uh, some indication of how much strength in depth charlie appleby has in that division i mean with caribus nick that's one thing i was just thinking and obviously that they they talked on on guineas day about that horse stepping up in trip later in the year just what a what a mouth-watering clash that would be at York in August, if Caribus were to meet Baid in the Judmont International, mm. that would be a, a race really to savour. Well, again, it might be round two. I mean, if they both go a mile and then both go 10, I mean, I'm dreaming now. I mean, just to put a bit of context in the, I mean, because we as as media people will be accused of overhyping Baid, because we always are uh, accused of overhyping any horse if we get excited about him or her. Um, so I thought, well, I'll just go back to Frankel and, and look at all the horses around the planet who've excelled and have recorded really high numbers and have dominated their, their um, division since him and could be, could be called absolute world-class horses. So 
uh, clearly around about the same time as Frankel, we had Black Caviar. But subsequent to, to her, we had Trev, who was absolutely brilliant in a pair of arcs. We had the sparkling Myla Kingman, who was beaten in a Guineas, but was a, a real top notcher. Japanese star just away. Well, he was a bit of a one-hit wonder on the global stage. American Pharaoh certainly wasn't. Golden Horn certainly wasn't. And, and he was a, a tremendous horse who won the Derby in the arc. The, the brilliant Winks, and those Australian listeners will be saying, hang on a minute, Winks has come along since Frankel. I'm not sure you can say a horse is better than her just yet. Arrogate likewise, and certainly the best North American trained horse I've ever seen in the flesh. And more recently, the likes of Enable and Cracksman. But it, it, certainly, it certainly doesn't feel jarring to put Baid right in amongst the very best of that group. No, I completely agree. I think that, um, well, one earns one's living working for a red top tabloids. And so we know that hype is uh, very much part of uh, that job. But I think that most of us these days do try and use the hype machine as, as sparingly as we possibly can, because, you know, we know that, that there is an element of the boy crying wolf. If you keep saying that these are all great champions, well, people see through that. But I thought that there was an element of, of brilliance in what Bay did on Saturday that just promised so much for the future. Yes, it was, a, it was an outstanding performance. As I said, he was thunderously impressive. Uh, the way that he could be seen towards the far side going so easily um, was, was really taking. But I just felt that both from what William Haggis said afterwards that you know they felt that there was a lot more to come from this horse. And I think that we're a long way from the bottom of the barrel with Baid. And so I, 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 think that's a, I think that's a perfectly fair uh, thing to say. I'd be really interested to see what happens with this horse in, in two respects. When he takes on the classic generation, and you know we've mentioned the three horses that Charlie Appleby trains, Caribus is clearly uh, a very good horse indeed. That will be a fascinating clash. And also when Baid goes up to 10 furlongs, uh, if he does go to the, the Judmont International, then that's another element uh, to his legacy, if you like. And uh, so this looks very promising, doesn't it? So Charlie Appleby wins another Colts Classic, and next week he will bid to win his third Colts Classic with a, a different Colts. So Caribus, Modern Games, Native Trail goes to Ireland next week. Very nearly, Caché pulled off a remarkable double in the in the French Guineas, led pretty much everywhere bar the post for, for George Bowie and High Clear Thoroughbred Racing, um, who have a pretty interesting classic hand moving forward as well. Uh, Harry Herbert is with me now. Harry, first of all, reflections on yesterday. How proud were you of, of Cachet's run in, in defeat? Oh, Nick, um, it was unbelievable. I mean, it was such a such a thrill. Um, uh, I mean, you know, lost nothing in defeat because she's such an extraordinary, very silly. Um, James was just saying, you know, when he was dismounting, that she just stumbled when the gates opened um, and he had to pick her up. A bit and it just he said it was frustrating slightly missing that moment had to burn a little bit of fuel to regroup and get her into that um lovely rhythm that she she likes to to race at um at the forefront of affairs and uh she certainly did it and what was so exciting was actually watching her fight back having been passed um it, it was a an amazing effort great credit obviously to george and his team and and the, the Phillies are an absolute wonder, a joy, and a you know absolute gift from God for a syndicate to have a a, a classic winning filly who nearly pulled off a 
you know, a historic double. Because it's one thing to have a good horse. It's another thing to have a horse who, as you say, for a syndicate, gives you loads of action at the top level as well. Exactly. Um, I mean, she is remarkably tough. Um, She bounced out of the guineas. Um, George said, you know, didn't leave a note. And she's sort of very bright and fresh and well the next day. And sometimes those things, I guess, can be you know you don't quite know obviously until you run again but um i think that was a pretty strong race yesterday anyway i mean looking at the fillies in the you know pre-parade ring um strips i mean they were a lovely group of horses um and um you know she just doesn't turn a hair she traveled over without without a bother and she walks around without a bother and once in the parade ring she then you know it's lovely seeing her get up with a swagger and on her toes and but you know she's she just has a remarkable um, you know, attitude to the game, and, um, and 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 that, of course, is, is so much. So, yeah, no, she's a joy, and uh, everyone's absolutely loving every second of uh, being involved with her. And if she's okay, do you bowl onto the coronation stakes at Royal Ascot? Yes, that's very much the plan. Um, stiff mile there, but she's you know we're what, four or five weeks away from that. So, um, but yes, absolutely. I mean, there aren't too many you know hiding places, obviously, um, for her, and not that we're looking to hide anywhere. She's um, proven it at the, at the highest level, and uh, this week will be interesting with Inspiral. Um, I guess running a sand down and 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 see what she does and and um, go from there. But has to be the plan, and um, fingers crossed for a trouble-free preparation for that. Uh, let's talk about the derby because you've got a couple of horses who could be realistic contenders one of them is is a sort of more obvious one if you like royal patronage he ran well enough in the guineas and ran extremely well to finish second in the dante the other one is lysander who's got a an entry in the cocked hat stakes uh, at goodwood on friday which is the last sort of recognized derby trial it used to be called the predominant stakes do you what are you expecting first of all of of lysander this week would um uh, harry i nearly called you william then which was a freudian slip <laughs> I guess I couldn't answer for William. I get I get a terrible bollocking. Um, look, he's he he is the most lovely horse. He's a beautifully bred horse. Um, he should have won on debut as a two-year-old. Um, did so well from two to three um, that it, you know, with William, we just were waiting to hear how he was getting on. I mean, I suspected he was he was doing well because physically, it's it would be you know, seeing how much he was liked at two and then seeing his physical development. And we were waiting for the big news. And William called me and said, look, he's worked the place down. That was a proper piece of work. He said, you even have my permission to go and talk to Tom Marquand and discuss it with him. Uh, And I think that was sort of roundabout was it Guinea's time or just before maybe? And um, Tom was very complimentary about him indeed. Um, And so William sent him to Newcastle um, like all those novices, you know, the very competitive affairs and you think you go up there and, you know, and, and, you know, not have much to beat. Well, you know, it looked a pretty warm race, albeit, you know, small numbers and Roger Varian loved his horse and, and he put the race to bed very impressively. Um, he's done well since William planned from that, um, Newcastle race to go to the predominant, sorry, the, um, cocked hat, um, and, and that if he won the cocked hat and it pleased him, then to definitely go for the derby. And I think that speaks volumes probably for, you know, how much he, he, he thinks of the horse. So this week will, will tell us plenty. It's a you know, big step up and not the easiest track, um, Goodwood. Um, but that'll teach him plenty as well. So we're really excited by him. You know, he, he, he's, he's giving off the vibes of a, 
of a, of a, of a, of a pretty good horse. And we know that Royal Patronage is already a good horse because he had very good form at two. He ran quite well in the Guineas. He ran very well in the Dante the other day. I spoke to Charlie Johnson. I must confess I wasn't expecting him to have Epsom on his mind, but he, he very much was. Um, that's an interesting option to have. Yeah, it it, it is. And um, what was lovely about um, the Dante was seeing him, you know, race quietly, go into a really good rhythm, um, and um, prove that he stays well um, the mile and a quarter. And personally, I think he will absolutely stay further. He's bred to, um, and you could argue that he would be better going further. Um, I think where they is a pretty steady pace, and um, you know, and it all sort of quickened up in the straight. Um, you know, like those slowly run races, and then it's all sort of scrub away. And um, and I think it would have been. I think he probably would have been better going further, possibly, and coming into the race. You know, on a, a you know with a more sort of rhythmical, you know, increase in tempo. Um, and that should, certainly would make one consider, you know, the Derby. But I mean, you know, when you're beaten as comprehensively as he was by Sir Michael's horse, um, the favourite, um, current favourite, it's uh, it just makes you sort of stop and think. Well, are you, you know, can you can you beat that horse? And there are plenty in front of him in the betting. Um, so we're we know we're looking closely at it, and we're also very much looking um, considering the French Derby as well. Um, and just got more sort of research to do to see what's going where and. Um, and obviously discuss it in detail with Charlie and Mark. But um, he, he's a very good horse, and he's, you know, he's, he's bred. He is bred to stay that trip, and he's acted very... He's only been to Epsom once, and he's sluiced it, and he handled it brilliantly on his uh, second start, it was. He won very impressively. So um, at least he's he's winged around the track, so that's a big positive. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's a very good, very, very good problem to have. Uh, Harry Herbert there, and while we're congratulating him on Cachet's excellent effort as runner-up, of course we need to give due plaudits to the winner Mongustine, a return to the big time for excellent trainer Mikel Del Zongle, and who did he enlist to help him get into uh, the classic winner's enclosure? None other than veteran rider Gerald Mosse. He keeps telling us it's going to be his last year in the saddle, and nobody ever believes him. So he is set for perhaps more Group 1 success at Royal Ascot when the pair reappose in the Coronation Stakes. But however much you enjoyed hearing about the French 1000 guineas, no doubt your interest will have been significantly um, more greatly piqued by Harry Herbert's comments about Lysander, this dark horse for the Derby who may not be so dark when you've listened to this and maybe even less dark after the Cocked Hat Stakes at Goodwood on Friday. Dave Yates, that was quite striking what Harry had to say about him. Yeah, I mean, it's it's his job to talk up and to, to polish uh, what he's given. But it's interesting that William Haggis and Tom Marquand should be so positive about uh, Lysander, uh, the son of the 2008 uh, Derby hero, New Approach. Um, yeah, a, a wide margin winner at Newcastle last month. The, the, the Derby over the last week, Nick, has really taken on some interest hasn't it we looked it looked as though I think when I was at Ballydoyle this time last week and five of the top seven in the betting for the Kazoo Derby were trained in Ballydoyle which you know great for Ballydoyle but in terms of the wider interest of the race you need more and then of course on Thursday we got Desert Crown and Sir Michael Stout which would be uh, a, a, a real a uh, human interest story for a 76-year-old trainer to come back from uh, a dip in fortunes to win what, in my opinion, is the, the world's greatest flat race. And 
now Lysander, if he were to appear on the premises too, we, we saw Heikli a thoroughbred racing course in victory uh, after the 1,000 guineas, and he would be another very interesting addition to this race. Uh, it's, it, a, a week is a long time in politics. Well, it's also a long time in terms of the Kazoo Derby, because last year, the, last, uh, with this time last week, the picture looks a little bit grey, and now it's potentially full of colour. Yeah, just on that note, I mean, it could be Lysander very feasibly if all goes well on on Friday. And there's some other very interesting horses in that race, particularly Lionel, trained by David Menuisier. Charlie Appleby's got two or three in there with a bid to sort of try and find a a really meaningful uh, derby contender that people can latch on to. Don't forget also that Charlie Hills has said that Sonny Liston will run in the derby. He's a 66 to one shot at the moment. The horse who finished quite well in behind in the, in the D stakes. I, I suspect we could be brewing up for quite a big field. Yeah, it's interesting this, isn't it? Because we're used to seeing um, Epsom trials sort of ebb and flow in their importance. Uh, obviously the, the, uh, the preeminence of Bally Doyle, the, the resurgence of Bally Doyle over the last 25 years has, um, has made the Irish trials uh, of, of greater significance. But uh, recently, of course, the, the Lingfield Derby trial has, has produced a couple of uh, winners. York and the Dante has been a little bit quieter just in the, in the very recent past. Um, the Cocked Hat Stakes at Goodwood, which used to be the predominant didn't it and it's a it's a race that is pretty much the last of the recognized derby trials it's a race that certainly did troy run in the predominant nick i think he probably did um and so so did dubai millennium yes yeah but it's, it's a race that i think it's without denigrating it too much it's a race that that it's not. Let's just put it this way: It's not the first place that one looks for uh, in order to find the Derby winner in recent years. But it looks as though this Friday's renewal would be uh, will have a cont- contribution to make in terms of uh, runners to the race on June the fourth, and also something possibly a minor shake-up, but a shake-up nevertheless in uh, the anti-post betting market. Well, it doesn't look as though John Gosden has an obvious derby contender at this stage, but the horse he had hoped to run there, Reach for the Moon, may well wheel out at Sandown Park this Thursday, according to an interview that I conducted with him yesterday on my Luck on Sunday programme on Racing TV. Uh, Gosden was saying that it was a good starting point for him if he was going to get him to Royal Ascot. He needed to run him here. And when I pressed him about the decision to start him off over a mile, he pointed out not only the speed in his pedigree, but the pace that he'd shown last year. And uh, I said to him, well, if he had been going for the derby, would we have now been discussing whether he would get the trip at all? And he didn't necessarily disagree uh, with that sentiment. So it'd be great to see Reach for the Moon back for Her Majesty the Queen, who was delighting everybody with her appearance yesterday at Royal Windsor Horse Show and the celebrations for the Platinum Jubilee. Uh, Gosden's got quite a lot to celebrate in in terms of his three-year-old fillies division. Uh, he is making a decision around about now, as I record, whether in spiral will head to the Curra for the Irish 1000 guineas or wait for the coronation stakes at Ascot. So it'll either be one of the two. You'll probably hear, well, you might have heard by now or it'll be around about now, I would think. Uh, and the two Oaks fillies, Emily Upjohn, uh, reportedly fine after her victory in the Musadora stakes. And, of course, he's got the potential of adding a second string to that bow with Nashua, who was very uh, impressive, the daughter of Frankel at Newbury, again on Saturday afternoon under under Holly Doyle. Dave Yates, where would you go? Oaks or Prida Diane, uh, the French Oaks, with, with Nashua over the shorter distance? 
Well, I think I'd probably, oh, what a question. I think she's the, the, the likelier winner of the Prix de Diane. And I suspect that John Gosden will want to keep uh, Nashua and Emily Upjohn separate. It's a really difficult question because I love the Oaks so much. Um, oh, goodness. Yeah, okay. I'd roll the dice at Epsom and see what happened. Um, <laughs> there, was, there was talk you wanted about... To, you wanted to run in the Oaks, but there's a bit of your head that says she should run in the Prix de Diane because she showed loads of speed. Well, she did show a lot of speed. Um, she's got an entry in the Coronation States, hasn't she? So evidently... Um, connections think that she's capable of showing her best form at a mile and she'd need to show her best form to win a coronation of stakes. Um, interestingly, uh, she's, she's by Frankel, who we know that his progeny generally stay well. Um, she's out of Princess Lulu, uh, who was better at 10 furlongs. Uh, there were two defeats at a mile and a half in the care of Roger Varian. But uh, She's Nashua is a half sister to Luganini, who's by Zoffany, um, one in the same colours over a mile and a half uh, handicap in soft ground Alaska 11 years ago. That was for William Haggis. So, in terms of her pedigree, you'd think that Nashua would be able to get a mile and a half. I think that um, she it, it looked visually as though uh, Nashua was. Uh, probably, I, th I think that if, if you watch the race at Newbury on Saturday, you might think, well, perhaps 10 rather than 12. But um, she hit the, pr the, the front um, plenty early enough too. And I think just looking at the pedigree, that a mile and a half should be within range. So, yeah, I think I'd, I'd give it a go at Epsom. But the, the, the more important aspect of this story, I think, is, is Holly Doyle, isn't it? You know, her career obviously has been stellar over the last couple of seasons with the multiple Group 1 victories. Now, it's uh, there's a, a very real prospect of Holly Doyle riding a classic winner. Now, that's a classic winner in France or a classic winner in Britain. She's a seven-to-one shot, I think, uh, for the Kazoo Oaks at the moment. But that would really be something, wouldn't it? Because we've talked about, um, we've talked on this program, we've talked about Holly Doyle's upwardly mobile career, but that would be new ground for her to ride the winner of a classic. And it's something that the tie up with Imad Al-Sagar, of course, the, the part owner of Authorised, the 2007 uh, Derby winner. That's, that's something that, that a tie-out like this could throw up. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'd love to see, I'd love to see Holly Doyle win at Epsom. That would just be an incredible story. But um, talking to the owner after the race, he, he, he seemed pretty non-committal. You know, I, sometimes you get a feel for which way they're leaning. And I must admit, I didn't get that, get that at uh, Newbury on Saturday. I think it's probably about a 50-50 chance. Dave, quite an, an alarming story from Ireland that we flagged up on the podcast a, a few weeks ago concerning the uh, treatment of a horse in the care of a, a licensed trainer, Paddy Hayes, who has now had his license suspended by the Irish Horse Racing Regulatory Board. Just tell me exactly what the circumstances of this are. Right. Well, this um, involved a thoroughbred who was found in an emaciated state in 2020. Paddy Hayes, who's the brother of jockey Chris Hayes, uh, appeared in court as a result of this. Now, the reason that the IHRB, the Irish Horse Racing Regulatory Board, had to wait until Friday before giving uh, their verdict was because the case had to conclude first... Um, Paddy Hayes was, was found guilty of animal neglect and he was given a three-month 
suspended sentence. Subsequently, the IHRB acted, and they acted quickly. Uh, he was given a 15-month suspension of his training license. Uh, in the words of Lynn Hillier, the head of anti-doping at the IHRB, uh, the standard of care fell far short of the standards expected of a licensed trainer. Um, it, it was The evidence was that the, the deterioration in the uh, horse's condition, and uh, he was subsequently put down, was down to um, a heart murmur. Paddy Hayes said that he'd seen the horses, the, the, the horse involved had a companion, and that he'd seen them three days uh, earlier, and that the horse being rugged up, that the the um, the extent of uh, this horse's condition was not evident to him. It, it seemed to be evident to somebody who made uh, the complaint. Uh, the IHRB accepted that Paddy Hayes had suffered considerable mental health issues um, over the last couple of years, and that they, they seemed happy to accept that, that, that in this case, this was, in his case, this was a one-off instance. Uh, and so he was given that 15-month suspension, and that goes with uh, the three-month suspended sentence that uh, he received from the court on Friday. So everybody in, in racing around the world, wherever you are, knows that if you have a horse that looks white, that horse isn't really white, right? It's it's grey. All horses are, are grey if they're not bay or chestnut or whatever. So go to Japan yesterday and have a look at the Victoria Mile, grade one for fillies and mares, and a, a real sensation of a filly called Sodashi was the winner. Now she is white. She is pure white, a, a real rarity amongst thoroughbreds. It has garnered her enormous popularity in her homeland. But not only that, she happens to be really good too because she won this grade one with ease. Uh, Kate Hunter joins me now. You'll know Kate from her work with the Breeders' Cup, but also she was at the Kentucky Derby with Crown Pride the other day and she's uh, very much the, the Japanese voice abroad uh, at present. Uh, Kate, she's something of a sensation, this filly. Just tell us a bit more about her. Oh, she's been a she's been a sensation since she first uh, started racing as a two year old. She was champion two year old here in Japan, winning her first Group One in the Hanshin Juvenile Fillies, um, and it just it just kind of exploded everyone's mind because there's been she comes from a long line of um, full full white thoroughbreds, uh, but for her to be able to to win at that level was a was a real first, and it has just ignited the imagination of the Japanese racing fans, and it seems to be kind of catching on around the world. I mean, because this is a tiny, tiny gene pool, isn't it? I remember 30-odd years ago seeing a, a white thoroughbred in the U.S., and the horse wasn't any good, and everybody was in raptures about it. Yeah, the, well, every, everyone likes the idea of unicorns and things like that out there in the world. But uh, the cool thing about her is she's kind of real. And the, she comes from a long line. It started off with a Sunday silence daughter called Shira Yukihime, which means Princess Snow White in Japanese. Um, and many, many, many of, not all, but almost all of her offspring have been uh, have been white. And then their offspring have either been spotted and or white, or sometimes there's some colored swirls mixed in there. Um, there's one, one of the folds is called Marble Cake, so the, uh, Mr. Kaneko has a very good sense of humor. Um, but you've just got this long lineage now, all owned by, um, originally owned by uh, Mr. Kaneko, that has kind of led to this amazing horse that is Sodashi, who's now won her third Group 1 race um, over the turf in Japan. 
I mean, it was a, a race yesterday worth £858,000 uh, sterling to the winner. Uh, she's clearly very smart. She's got a, a good turn of foot too. She she beat a contentious field by a long way. Uh, names people will be well familiar with. Resistencia, Songline, Daring Tact and, and many more. Uh, the the key question is: Are we ever likely to see her away from Japan? Because she won the, the the Breeders' Cup ticket yesterday, and um, I'm sure your bosses at the Breeders' Cup are very keen for you to get her there. <laughs> very very keen, and I've gotten a lot of lot 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 of tweets and a, a lot of Facebook messages asking me to, oh please, dear God, bring her over here. Um, and as I would love to see her over there uh, personally, but. Um, Based on uh, Mr. Kanako's uh, predilection to uh, both breed and race his horses almost uh, exclusively in Japan, I would say the odds of unfortunately bringing her over are probably pretty slim. Um, he's only, I think, I don't know if you guys, I think it's 2002 um, he brought over uh, to the victory. I think was second in the Dubai World Cup one year. Um, so he's And he's taken over Utopia, who I think won the... Godolphin mile at one point and he's taken over lovely day but all, all in all through the past 30 30 years of him with a right owner's license he's only shipped about less than 10 but maybe about seven or eight different horses abroad uh, to compete overseas that included deep impact but he was probably the best of all of his horses that he ever bothered to send abroad yeah, and he um, he was a pretty good one. Let's face it. Uh, he was a pretty good one. So, like, um, like King Kamehameha, Kurofuni, all these other horses that are these legendary stallions now. Uh, Kurofuni being the sire of uh, Sodashi as well. I think that I, it's going to be uh, it's going to be a lot. And the thing is, it's not about money. It's not about pride. It's it's not about anything. It's just he's. He he loves his 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 kingdom, which is Japan. He loves the racing there, and he loves supporting it. He loves bringing the fans, this amazing racehorse, and so it's it's not. There, there's probably no there's no way we can probably sway him, unfortunately, with with any kind of baubles or tickets or mm. or or something to to, to um, you know appease him. Unfortunately, like so like like you could have with so many probably other owners out there in the world. Well, that's um, that's fine. We've just we've just got to come to Japan to see her. I mean, I, give me some idea. Try and put into context how close to sort of mainstream popular culture this filly is likely to get, or indeed has got. Well, I would, that would actually be a very difficult question for me to answer. That is a very intense question. Um, but she is definitely, when it comes to the racing fans and the racing community that is around there, she is front and center. Um, there's there's pretty much no one who's not going to root for her at the end of the day, even if they've got another horse in the race, because she's just that special. Um, you just don't see a horse of a different color like that competing at that level. And so it's really hard not to cheer for. So everybody, you know, at the end of the day is, is a racing fan when she comes uh, thundering down the lane. Kate, obviously we spoke quite a bit in uh, Kentucky when, when Crown Pride was having a go at the, the Kentucky Derby. It didn't quite work out for him. Uh, what's going to happen to him now? Uh, well, he's back on the farm at the moment. Um recuperating from a pretty long trip he he circled the entire planet himself just like i did so it's, it's a pretty long trip around the globe um but he's gonna hopefully they hope to target potentially the japan dirt derby which i believe is in july my brain is kind of i still have derby fog so i think it's in july um the japan dirt derby which is a three-year-old race is over uh, 10 furlongs um here in tokyo so um, that was the last thing that I heard that they might be targeting. Otherwise, they'll give him a nice summer break, let him mature a bit more, and then figure out something in the fall. My thanks to Kate Hunter. Dave Yates has got a tip for me. 
I have indeed. We're going to Fours last for the 255 race and number three, Lord Brian, attempting to give his rivals here a year and a couple more years in uh, some cases, but scored over course and distance last time in game fashion, might just get this race run to suit out in front. I certainly hope so. 2.55 at four's last. Selection is number three, Lord Bryan. Okay, Dave, I know you're a keen fan of sporting art and indeed the National Horse Racing Museum. I am indeed. Uh, And you'll be, I'm sure, attending the Munnings Exhibition, which opens on the 24th of May. I will indeed. I think that um, I urge anybody who's listening who doesn't have a membership of the National Horse Racing Museum to get one. I'm not paid to say this. I think it's an an incredible resource. Um, If you get a membership, then of course you can uh, visit throughout the year when you happen to be in Newmarket. It's well worth, if you go to the races at headquarters, it's well worth leaving your house two hours earlier uh, than you had originally planned. Find a parking space in the town and go and have a look round. I urge you to uh, look at the Munnings exhibition in particular and attend uh, the National Horse Racing Museum in Newmarket in a more general sense and a regular sense. Absolutely. And as luck would have it, there is a galloping sandwich board for this exhibition named Alfred Munnings, who made a sparkling, sparkling debut for Aidan O'Brien and the Coolmore Partners at Leopardstown on Friday evening. He really drew clear of his field in a most imposing fashion. He's now bound for the Chesham Stakes at Royal Ascot. Check out the pedigree here. He's a half-brother to the sadly lamented but very brilliant Snowfall, the Oaks heroine of last year, and he's by Dubawi. Dubawi out of the Galileo Mare, and you wonder now whether the, the Coolmore batch of mares that was visiting Dubawi as a group, that, that the fruits of that labour is really starting to, to pay off. And uh, Alfred Munnings, well, he looked the picture, as well he might, given his illustrious naming. Uh, make sure you catch him where he next runs and make sure you catch the exhibition at the National Horse Racing Museum from the 24th of May, running for a limited time only, nhrm.co.uk. That's it from me and all the team. We'll be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Thank you.